From Washington, this is the CQ Budget Podcast, your leading Capitol Hill source on how Congress allocates federal taxpayer dollars. I'm David Lerman, your budget tracker and editor of the CQ Budget Newsletter. And joining me today is Paul Krawczak, CQ Roll Call's senior budget reporter. Thanks for being here again, Paul. Thank you. And making her debut appearance on the Budget Podcast is Kate Ackley, who covers the world of lobbying for CQ Roll Call. Welcome to the podcast, Kate. Great to be here. And I wanted to talk to both of you today to discuss this latest effort at overhauling the budget process on Capitol Hill. It's been a longstanding concern, of course. Most lawmakers say the budget process is broken since spending bills almost never get passed on time, but no one can agree on how to fix it. Yet we did see senators take a tiny step forward last week on an overhaul when the Senate Budget Committee approved a bill that would begin to change the process. And Paul, you were there. What kind of changes are they talking about? Well, first of all, I'd like to say that the this achievement should not be underestimated. Um, if we think about recent history, we've had a number of different efforts at uh, budget process overhaul. We can go back, and, and basically none there's of— There's been a slew of them. There's been a slew of them, and none of them really passed or, or, or had a lot of bipartisan support. You go back to Simpson-Bowles, did not get enough support to pass. You go back to the Super Committee, they could not agree— uh, Tom Price did significant uh, budget process overhaul in the House, but uh, it former was, former House budget chairman exactly. Right. But it was very very partisan. Uh, there was little to no Democratic sign sign on to that. Um, and then more recently, we had the Joint Committee on Budget and Appropriations Reform, um, and uh, that committee. Um, that was just last year. Right, right. Seems like a world ago already. Right, and they did they did not get enough votes there to, you know, advance that to Congress. So uh, there have been these efforts, but they've always fallen short. So what we have now, last week, with Senate Budget Chairman Mike Enzi, is um, he has been working with, with Democrats as well as Republicans on the committee for months and months and months, and really for years, for years, um, and he reached, he got enough Democratic support to, you know, actually get this thing passed through the, com- through the committee, even though, you know, clearly there was, there was Democratic opposition as well. But you asked— um, So what's in it, though? What, what would it do of a substance? Yeah, the most obvious thing it would do is it would change the budget resolution from, from an annual budget resolution to a two-year budget resolution. So that they would something pass, they've talked about before, right? Right. So they would pass the budget resolution in one year, and it would have the spending and tax limits for that year and for the next year. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they'd be passing a budget resolution every two years instead of every one year. Okay, and they could do that. There is support for doing that. On the other hand, that just sort of codifies what they do already, right? Because we, we basically we have these two-year budget deals they've been relying on to set spending limits uh, for two years at a time. Right. I, there has been, um, I mean, there have been people advocating and ma- making that argument that we have been living with these two-year budget deals, which are laws, which which set spending caps, and and why not just, you know, do that with the budget resolution as well. The budget resolution does not become a law. It sets right. limits, but those are enforceable by rules. 
But this bill goes beyond that. Um, and really, it does, um, in my mind, three major things. It would do three major things. It, it, it would or could speed up the budget process. Um, it provides incentives to get work done. And, and it also nods toward a more realistic approach to budgeting. And I would be happy to break that down a little bit if you'd like. That sounds like nirvana. How does that, how's that going to work? Well, so in terms of speeding things up, if you do a two-year budget rather than a one-year budget, you're not spending as you don't have to pass it every year. So that can speed up the process. This bill would require the president to uh, put forward a sort of a bare bones numbers budget on December 1st instead of waiting until February, which would, which would speed up the process. That gives uh, them a few extra months. That might do something, yeah. Right. Um, and then it also provides the option for a bipartisan budget, um, which would need more votes on the, on the budget committee. It would need more votes on the floor to pass. But, uh, w- but, it, but if that passed, that would provide, there would be various things within that, that that could speed up the budget process. I won't go into those details right now. But we could also talk about incentives, realism. Um, I think you probably want to ask about what it does in connection with the debt limit, which is well. That's another important feature. Before we dive into those details, though, Kate, you've been you've been covering a special committee that was created this year to to examine how Congress works and recommend changes, a modernization of Congress, they call it. And that panel has been looking at also at improving the budget process. Have they come up with anything, and what are they talking about doing, and does it match what, what Paul is talking about here? So the uh, this is the uh, Select Committee on the Modernization of Congress, and it has a big uh, sort of purview, but not a lot of authority. Right. So uh, this committee has been tasked with looking at upgrading technology. And this is only House members, so that's important to keep in mind. This is not a joint committee like okay. the last year uh, uh, last year's committee on the budget process. Um, but one of the main things that this uh, select committee on the modernization of Congress wants to tackle, at least, you know, there's an interest there, is on the budgeting and appropriations process. The committee has a couple of, uh, you know, or numerous obstacles in its way to to even passing out recommendations. It cannot make legislation. So it can come up with recommendations. And the only way that those recommendations can be approved is if two-thirds of those voting in that committee uh, approve it. So it has to be kind of a supermajority. What that means is that they're looking at kind of uh, less controversial items and uh, the biennial budgeting, the budgeting every two years is one that uh, the chairman of that committee, uh, Derek Kilmer, who's a Democrat of Washington State, who was actually on the joint committee last year, which failed to come up with any uh, mm-hmm. a- any real um, uh, changes. Uh, the other, the, the co-chairman, they're running this panel in a bipartisan sort of way. So instead of having a ranking member, they have a, a, a co-chairman. That's Tom Graves of Georgia. Both of them are appropriators, so they have a real interest in this. They had a hearing in September, um, you know, trying to solicit ideas. What could they come up with? Recommendations. Nita Lowy, who's the chairwoman of the Appropriations Committee, testified. And one of the things that I thought was most interesting about her testimony was her sort of call to bring back earmarks or member-directed spending. 
Um, but with, uh, I, I think, an important caveat, even though this committee has heard from numerous members, including uh, House Majority Leader um, Steny Hoyer and others, including Lowy, uh, saying, bring back earmarks. We need to have this buy-in. Uh, you know, members need to have a buy-in to, uh, to, to move these uh, funding bills along. Uh, I don't think they have the uh, requisite amount of support on the Modernization Committee to recommend bringing back earmarks. If they do, it's going to be with a lot of uh, new sort of uh, measures to ensure that it's not a corrupted process, because obviously that's why earmarks went away. Uh, they sort of got overly um, uh, sort of overly used uh, with K Street lobbyists helping decide where a lot of these uh, projects would be funded. Yeah. So they, you know, there was the bridge to nowhere and other things that uh, people who, you know, said it needed to be uh, overhauled. And there were some um, changes that were made, more more disclosures. But in the end, in 2011, there was a moratorium put on them. We haven't had real congressionally directed spending since then. Um, but a lot of people argue that that this is part of a, a larger erosion of congressional power and that bringing back some type of earmarking uh, on Capitol Hill would would do a lot to make Congress better, work better um, and and reclaim some of its authority. So, yeah, clearly an earmark survival would be a much more controversial proposal, although, as you say, there is there is some growing support for it that we've seen in the last few years. Now that they've been living without earmarks for for uh, what eight or nine years now, but of course there is the concern about corruption, getting pet projects in uh, that that caused the problem in the first place. So well, and you just you have to have both both parties, both the House and Senate, just sort of jump in and decide to do it because otherwise this is going to be the subject of attack ads on the campaign trail. Right. Uh, it has know. to be bipartisan. Yeah. So you're not seeing bipartisan support for that yet on the modernization. On the modernization committee, I they have indicated basically that that is probably not among the recommendations that they will make. We'll see. They have not uh, voted on yet, or or even released yet, uh, some of their budget and appropriations recommendations. So th this committee uh, is tasked is basically allowed to operate through the end of this year. Um, so they're running out of time. They're running out of time. Now, there was uh, last week, there were letters from different, um, you know, sort of caucuses on Capitol Hill, as well as outside groups saying, please renew this <laughs> committee for the duration of this Congress, meaning it would go oh, so through. So they might get an extension. They might get an extension. I, I think it's, uh, there, there, are, there are bipartisan stakeholders that want to see this committee renewed. Still, making a, making a recommendation to bring back earmarks would be hugely controversial, and there are just people on the modernization panel that aren't going to be for that. So yeah. it remains to be seen what, what recommendations they will come up with. But one, I think they've said already that they think that they have the, 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 the interest in biennial budgeting. But as hmm. you pointed okay. out, that— Interesting. Yeah. Okay, so so the biennial budgeting clearly is a common element here in both of these panels, and and has some bipart a lot of bipartisan support. It seems like Paul, I assume earmarks reviving earmarks was not part of of the Senate Budget Committee's uh, not not yeah. at all. Okay, not at all. So we'll put earmarks to the side for now and talk about and but let's go back, Paul, to what else 
uh, Mike Enzi's bill does, because that's it's interesting how he tries to uh, he does have something in there to make it easier to raise the debt limit, right? That's right. So um, Congress, you know, I mean, ha- they hate they hate to vote on the debt limit. They right. hate to vote to raise the debt limit. Um, so what this would do is it would bring back something very similar to what was called the the Gephardt rule after the you know former Democratic uh, congressman from Missouri. Um, there, there used to be a rule with the House budget resolution where if the budget resolution was passed, that would spin off a bill which would automatically raise the debt limit to the amount that was in the budget resolution, the amount of debt in the budget resolution. So this is part of the, the NZ, and I should say this so is So it would make it automatic. They wouldn't have to cast a separate vote to raise the debt limit, right? Right. The way it would work is that, and I just want to say that this is not just an NZ bill. Um, Sheldon Whitehouse, Democrat from Rhode Island, has been working very closely with Enzi okay, uh, for a long time. Support, yeah. So this is a bipartisan bill. They both they co-introduced it. But um, so whatever the debt level is in the budget resolution, if the House and Senate both passed a budget resolution, then this you w- it would automatically spin off this bill, which would raise the debt limit to the amount in the budget resolution, and the House and the Senate would not have to vote on that bill at all. The bill would go to the president, and he would have to sign it for it to become law. Okay, so it might provide a faster, easier way to raise the debt limit, assuming they can get a budget resolution passed. Right, but again, this is an incentive to adopt a budget resolution. If you can avoid a debt limit vote by adopting a budget resolution, and you only have to adopt it every two years rather than one year, this is an incentive to to do it. And then this bill also tries to rein in deficits, right? Well, yes. And so um, it has something called a debt-to-GDP ratio target in it. So the budget resolution would sort of specify by the end of the budget period, which probably would be six years, could be 10 years by the end of that period, this is... The, the, the debt held by the public has to be this share of the economy or the gross domestic product. So it would set that target. And then every year, CBO would- The Congressional Budget Office. Right, would estimate whether or not this target is going to be met. And if CBO said the target is not going to be met, then this would trigger a special reconciliation process, which would be deficit reduction only reconciliation. Um, in order to meet the target. Um, And this really is the most controversial thing in the bill, and this caused a number of Democrats to vote against it because their argument was that that this this special, that if Republicans controlled everything, that the special reconciliation process could be used to uh, cut uh, Medicare, Medicaid, um, other programs. So that piece is going to be controversial for sure if it gets anywhere. Right. And then there's one other thing in this bill, Paul, that we should probably mention before we go, which is they did get an amendment in here that aims at curbing the president's power to withhold money, right? Which is, which uh, plays into this whole impeachment drama that we're seeing. Yes. And I, Chris Van Hollen, the senator from Maryland, a budget expert. Uh, He has a lot of budget experience. Um, He, um, he introduced this and it was opposed by Mike Enzi, the chairman. Um, but it passed anyway. With, and what um, does it do? Um, so basically, w- there is this 
presidential special rescission process where the president can say to Congress, I propose to not spend X amount of money. And then Congress has 45 days to approve that. And if Congress does not approve that, then the money has to be released. Um, But what can happen is the money can be withheld and then it's not released until very close to the end of the fiscal year and it's too late to obligate it or spend it. So uh, this amendment says that um, that money would have to be released at least 60 days before the end of the fiscal year, whether Congress took any kind of action or not. Okay. So definitely make it harder for the president to just sit on, sit on a lot of money that he doesn't want to spend. Yes. Great. So we'll keep an eye on this effort to improve the budget process in coming weeks or months or however long it takes or years, depend based on the current track record. And CQ will be covering it all for you as always. That does it for us today. If you have any questions or comments about our podcast, we'd love to hear from you. You can drop us an email at cqpodcast at cqrollcall.com. The CQ Budget Podcast is produced by CQ Roll Call, a leader in nonpartisan political and policy news and analysis for more than 70 years. And CQ Roll Call is part of Fiscal Note, a global technology and media company. My thanks again to Paul Krozak, our senior budget reporter, for joining me. Thanks, Paul. Thank you, David. And a special thanks to Kate Ackley, our senior reporter on lobbying, for joining us. Thanks, Kate. Thank you. And thank you all for listening. I'm David Lerman, your budget tracker. We'll be back next week. Until then, you can stay up to date by subscribing to the CQ Budget Newsletter. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast. You can find us on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, NPR One, or just Google the phrase CQ Budget Podcast. See you next week. 